so good to see you. And, um, and we are thankful for the privilege to see one another, but our greatest anticipation, as we all know, is Christ's presence among us. And let us once again ask for his help as we come to consider his word. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father, we thank you for your presence with us thus far. Because, Lord, you have promised to be with us, and not one word of your promise shall ever fail. And now we ask as we continue, we pray that you will cause your word to go forth unhindered, that you would cause the seed of your word to fall upon good ground. And if there's any ground in the hearts that are not good, we pray that you would make them good and make them receptive, receptacles of your word to the end that fruit will be born to you 100-fold to the glory of God. Our Father, we look to you and to you alone to help us to serve you to worship you, to glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, as you know, the Christian life is a journey. Bunyan wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, The Dangerous Journey. But it is a journey that leads to eternity. And on this journey, we learn there is so much to learn about God and his ways. And the Christian life, we are always learning about God. And we continue to learn about God and his ways. We also, in this process, we're learning more about ourselves. And God, in this journey... He is working on us, that is, fashioning us to be like Christ. He is working in us, <clears throat> and he is working through us for his own glory and for our highest good. You know, there was a man who went on a walk with God, and we can think of, let's go on a 20-minute walk down the road. But this man Nearly 365 years, he walked with God, and that's Enoch. And so it is with us. How long we've been on this journey, it varies at to what point when God reached in by his mercy and changed us. Some of us have been on this walk for a long time. Some of us has just begun this walk. And maybe there are some who are contemplating beginning this walk. Maybe there are those who are not even concerned about walking with God. But wherever stat your status you're in at this point, may the Lord be pleased that everyone in this room may leave this auditorium walking with God. And as we, on this journey... There are a number of things we learn, have to deal with, and one of those things is this matter of 
contentment. Contentment. And so we're going to consider contentment this morning. It's actually part of a, another sermon that I preach, but it can be treated separately. And our focus this morning is this matter of contentment, which is why I asked my brother to read from Hebrews chapter 13. But the passage, the real watershed passage on this is Philippians 4. So please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. And as you're turning there, just want to remind you, Paul, his circumstance in which he's written this letter, he is in prison. He's not at a conference retreat center, having a, a family conference or a pastor's conference. And he's sitting down and he's looking at the sky and as the sky is blue and he says, you know, I think I'm going to write a letter to the brethren at Philippi. He's in prison. And there's a question whether or not he may come out alive. He's confident. He believes that he wills. But it is from this context that these words that we're about to read were written. And um, I'll just start at verse 8. He says, Finally, brethren... Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. The things which you both learned and received and heard and saw in me, these things do and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your thought for me, wherein you did indeed take thought, but you lacked opportunity. Now let me pause here for a moment. Paul is rejoicing of their thoughtfulness of him. And their thoughtfulness of the apostle was expressed in a gift. That was given to him. Now, Paul, as he is rejoicing in this, he wants to make it clear that he's not, he's more happy that they thought of him than the gift. You know this phrase, it's the thought that counts. And so that's what Paul is excited about the fact that they were thoughtful of him, and their thoughtfulness of him is a manifestation of God's grace in them. And that's what Paul is rejoicing in. And so that's why he's going to say the words that we're about to read. So verse 10, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Now at length you have revived your thought for me, wherein indeed you had thought, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of need that is of want, for I have learned, In whatsoever state I am, therein to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know also how to abound. In everything and in all things have I learned the secret both to be filled and to be hungry, 
both to abound and to be in want, I can do all things in him that strengthens me. And I'll stop there. So I just want you to get a sense of the context of these words that we're considering and Paul's um, joy. And what Paul is actually doing, he's giving a clarification here. He's just clarifying to the Philippians that it's not about the gift because he has learned in whatsoever state he's in to be content. So as we consider this matter of contentment, firstly, the obvious question, what is contentment? What is contentment? And, you know, I, I thought of saying Christian contentment, but really true contentment can only come from God. So I'm going to call this just strictly contentment. What is contentment? Now, some may say, well, I know what contentment is. Contentment is when I hit the lottery. Then I'll be content. Content is when I'll find Miss Wright or Prince Charming. Then I'll be content. Fill in the blank. You know, people in the world think about contentment in terms of, could be material things, or it could just be in terms of a state of mind, a sense of peace, but a sense of peace that has nothing to do with God. No, you you won't find contentment there because there is no rest, there is no peace to the wicked, says the Lord. But what is contentment? Now, this word here, contentment, here in Philippians, it means to be essentially to be satisfied in the soul. To be satisfied in the soul. You know when you've had a meal and and you really enjoyed the meal and you say, ah, I've had enough. Right? You're content. Maybe you ate a little too much. But Regardless, at some point along the meal, you stop eating because you're content. You've had enough. And the word literally means here to be self-sufficient. To be self-sufficient. In other words, it is to be independent of external circumstances. Whatever's going on around me, whether this the storm is going on or or there's growing concerns even as our brother mentioned of covid-19 or or concerns about the economy and about all these things and what can happen to us and what can happen in my neighborhood and all whatever's going on all around you yet within there's a satisfaction of soul that is independent of all these external circumstances or conditions. So that's what it means to be content, is to have this sufficiency within oneself. In other words, it is to have enough. All right, so that's what Paul is speaking about here because he says, look at verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, that is of need or of necessity, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therein to be content. Whatever the state is, whatever it may be, I have learned to be content. 
All right, so that's what contentment is. Now, second question, how do you become content? If that's what it is, how do you get it? How do you become content? Well, there are three things that I want us to look at, and that's really going to be the focus of the rest of our time. Firstly, contentment, it has to be learned. It has to be learned. Now, why do I say it has to be learned? Well, because Paul says it right here. He has learned. I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now, this word learn, the verb here, it's an aorist active indicative. This is not to impress anyone about Greek. But this is just to tell you the sense of the word. The aorist speaks of a completed action. And this is a fact. This is something that Paul has completed. It points to the completion of a process such as achieving your college degree or your high school diploma. There was a process, a lot of study, a lot of exams, papers, a lot of late nights, a lot of coffee or Mountain Dew, whatever you do to keep yourself going. But eventually you've reached the goal and you finished the process and you obtained that piece of paper or to become certified in the skill, to be a certified accountant, or a certified medical assistant, or a certified plumber, or whatever the place may be. You invested yourself, you went through this experience of struggle and maybe agonizing to reach that goal and you've completed the process and now you are certified to so function in this way. Now, Paul is saying, in a sense, he's been certified, if you will. He has learned, and that's the sense of that word. He has learned, in other words, he has reached this process. He has completed the learning, and he understands what's involved in becoming content. He says, and I know how also to, excuse me, I know how to be a base now he's given his testimony. I know also how to abound. In other words, I've learned how to be the, a basis to be in humble situations or to be brought low. You know, sometimes you could be, I'm living on top of the world. Everything is going my way. Everything is great. And then maybe you lose your job, maybe your health, whatever it may be problems in your family, and now things, the rug is pulled out from under your feet, and now things is a big mess. And now you're brought low, and you're miserable, and you're like, oh, why me? What's going on, right? Paul, well, Paul said, I learned how to be content when the rug is pulled out from under me. I know how to be a base. I know how to abound when everything is going well and I have plenty and I'm full and I'm satisfied and I don't have to worry about the bills. I don't have to worry about my health. Everything is going wonderful for me and I don't let it get to my head. You know, people do that. They get puffed up and proud and they think, you know what? I'm pretty smart. I'm pretty wise. If people would do what I do, then they can learn how to 
have a better life. You know, man, you need to get your act together. Come on, get with it. This is what I did. And, but no, Paul didn't let it go to his head. He learned that same contentment. He learned to have that contentment in the midst of prosperity. I know how to be hungry. I've learned the secret both to be filled and to be hungry. You see, this process, this process, Paul said, I have come through this process and I have learned how to be content. Now, the main reason why we have to learn this is because it's not natural. None of us are born content. We have to learn this. And why do we have to learn this? Well, it's because of the problem of sin. And as the Bible says in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, his own way. And the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And that's the problem with any person who's not a Christian. If you're not a believer here, when you think of the unbelievers that you rub shoulders with, the problem is that people insist we are naturally want to do things our way. We want things done on our terms. You know, people want to serve God on their terms. Not now. Okay, that really, I'll, I'll get to that later on in life. I'm not really ready for that. And it just shows how ignorant we are of God and of ourselves. And here, we are selfish. That's why Jesus died, 2 Corinthians 5, he died that they that live should no longer do what? Live to themselves, but unto him who for their sakes died. So we have to learn contentment because it's not natural for us. The natural thing for us to do is what? Complain. We're very good at that. You don't have to sit down now. I'm going to teach your son how to complain. What's that? No, children know how to complain very early. They whine. You know, whining is complaining. They may not be using words, but that attitude, that face, that sugar, the, the shrug of the shoulder, that's complaining. And as adults, we do the same thing. We may not whine, but we may use our words and our thoughts and our expressions to try to justify ourselves. And so you get the point. We, it's something that has to be learned. Secondly, how do you become content? It has to be learned. But secondly, it is learned, and listen carefully, only and I stress the word only, it is learned only by experience. It is learned only by experience. You cannot learn this apart from first-hand experience. People sometimes say experience is the best teacher. You will not learn about contentment, or you, excuse me, you will not learn how to be content. You may learn about it, but you may not learn to be content. You cannot learn this by reading a book. Even reading the Bible, hang on, 
even listening to a sermon. Now, reading the Bible, listening to a sermon, you can learn about contentment. You can learn to, learn the teaching of contentment, and that's what I'm seeking to convey to you this morning. But you cannot learn to be content by merely listening, studying. But you learn only by experience. Uh, Deuteronomy, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8 there for a moment. Deuteronomy 8. And the passages we're going to look at here briefly are not necessarily referring to contentment, but is is referring to the fact there are things that can only be learned by experience. All right, that's what I'm seeking to demonstrate here. There are things that we can only learn by experience. Deuteronomy 8, beginning at verse 1. And this is Moses. He is speaking to the next generation of Israelites because the first generation, they died in the wilderness. They left Egypt, right? They came out of Egypt. Moses let them out. Everyone, 20 years and up, except for two, they died in the wilderness because they were complainers and they were discontent and they were unbelieving, all right? And now that they've all died off, this is their children. Now they are the young adults or the mature adults. And Moses is older. And now they are about to go into the land of, into the promised land. And Moses is giving them these instructions. And verse 8, I mean, chapter 8, verse 1, he says, All the commandment which I command you this day, God is speaking through Moses, you shall observe to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear to your fathers. And you shall remember all the way which Jehovah your God hath led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Why did he lead you these way, these years? That you, that he might humble you and prove, that is, put you to the test, to prove you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and permitted you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you knew not, neither did your fathers know, that he might make you to know that man doth not live by bread only, but by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of Jehovah doth man live. So you see what God is saying through Moses? God had a purpose in bringing you into the wilderness, right? A barren place. There's no flowing brooks. There's no water to be found. They were utterly dependent upon God, which is true, whether you are living in a very lush area where there's a lot of foliage and rivers everywhere. It's true everywhere. But here God wanted them to know this lesson clearly. So he led them in the wilderness these 40 years in order to humble them, to prove them, to test them, that they may know what's in their heart, that that they will be tested, whether they would keep God's commandment, 
that they may learn, that they may know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So that's something they learned through experience. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews 5. You know, this is true of our Lord Jesus himself as well. There were things that our Lord had to learn by experience. Now, yes, he is the Son of God. In terms of his divinity, there's nothing for him to learn. But in terms of his humanity, because he was a real man, and he was truly God, but in terms of his humanity, he had to learn. And here we read in Hebrews chapter 5, And I'll just jump in at verse 7. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. Speaking of Jesus, when he was on earth in the days of his flesh, having offered up prayers and supplications with strong cryings and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and having been heard for his godly fear, Though he was a son, yet learned obedience by the things he suffered. You see that? He learned obedience by the things he suffered. When he was in the wilderness, tempted of the devil, after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And as a real man, he was really hungry. And he had the power to turn stones into bread or to do whatever um, the will of God would serve or would dictate. And the devil came and the devil comes and tempts us at the very point of our weakness and of our need. And he says, since you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. You know, Why would God want you to come out here and die of hunger? I mean, you're the son of God. Come on. You have the power. You have the authority. It is within your right. You know, you deserve this. Turn these stones to bread. And Jesus says, it is written. And he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of Jehovah. You see, we don't live. Yes, we need food to live. Yes, there are joys and many things that we can experience in life. But Jesus was committed to obeying his father, even if he had to die of hunger in the wilderness. I would rather obey my father unto death and die of hunger than to turn these stones into bread and sin against his will because it was God's will for him to hunger. It wasn't his will for him to eat. It was his will for him to hunger at that point and to be tempted of the devil. That's why he was sent in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And he knew that this was a proving ground for him and he passed the test with flying colors. And so, brethren... You see, there are things that can only be learned by experience. Jesus learned obedience 
through suffering. It wasn't just something that he just did effortlessly. He did with no forethought. No, he suffered, but he persevered. And even the reference here to his strong cries and tears is referring to Gethsemane. And then if you look up at verse 11 here in the same chapter, now the writer to the Hebrews, he wants to talk about Melchizedek. Melchizedek is this priest king that Abraham encountered. And he says, I want to tell you more things about Melchizedek, but I'm not going to tell you because you're not ready for it. And in verse 10, he says, you know, you know, he mentions Melchizedek, but verse 11, he says, of whom, that is Melchizedek, we have many things to say and difficult of interpretation. Seeing you are become dull of hearing, that is, lazy in your ears. You've been lazy hearers. For when by reason of the time, that is, you've been believers for a sufficient amount of time that you ought to be teachers. But you have need again that someone teach you the rudiments of the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as in need of milk and not of solid food. You're like babies. You're immature. You know, babies, you know, they get their baby teeth, one tooth in, but before they get their teeth, they're, they're not, it's just liquid diet, milk. But then once they begin to get those teeth and those molars, and then they can start to eat more food, now they're growing, they're maturing into toddlers, and they're growing and they can eat and they can handle solid food. And, and the writer is using this imagery, you should be at the point where you should be eating solid food, but you're not ready to be taught about Melchizedek because you're lazy in the ears because of the time. Now, here's the difference between the mature Christian and the immature Christian. Verse 13, for everyone that partakes of milk is without experience, all right? They are without experience of the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food is for full-grown men, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. So here's a distinction here. The immature Christian is not using what they know in their lives. They're not applying the word of God in their lives. And because of that, they remain stunted in their growth and they are limited in what they know in terms of the way of righteousness, how to discern good and evil. Their discernment skills are not sharp. They're still, they're at this infant state. And they can't discern between right and wrong. Yeah, we can discern some basics of right and wrong. But what about when you find yourself in a situation, there's a number of different factors going on. How do you come to a conclusion as to what you should do? 
Well, the mature Christian is one who has been exercised. They have dug into the word of God. They have wrestled with issues of conscience and of liberty and understanding how to apply this principle in this situation. And they've wrestled with these matters. And as a result, they come through experiences learning more about how to live before God in various circumstances. And as a result, they become stronger and mature and their discernment is sharp. They can hear something and they can discern and say, uh-uh, I know where that guy is coming from. It's like the person who is streetwise. And you're walking down on the street with them and say, uh, don't listen to him. I know exactly what, and you're like, huh, huh, I, I don't get it. What? Because you don't have that street sense. You don't have that experience of dealing with people who, who are cons and deceitful people. And therefore, the simple and the naive, they go along and find themselves into difficult situations and get in trouble. Well, here is the difference between the mature and the immature. It is the experience of the use of the word of God that has sharpened their understanding and their discernment to discern what is good and what is evil. Okay. That is why I say that to be content it is something that is only learned by experience. Paul, as you know, he experienced many things. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Actually, let's go to chapter um, 11. There's, all, there's also some things in chapter 11. I think I want to read that one. Chapter 11, where Paul speaks about the many things he has experienced. And here, Paul is giving a defense of his apostleship. The Corinthians have been um, swayed and influenced by other teachers who sought to discredit the Apostle Paul and say all these things about Paul and the Corinthians have been led astray to some extent. And Paul is saying, look, my heart is open to you. And Paul is showing um, them that in terms of his experience, it validates that he is truly an apostle, one sent by Christ. And so he brings up these things and let's start at verse 22. Paul is speaking about these false teachers who have had a measure of influence among the Corinthians, and he's comparing himself to them. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 22, Paul says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as one beside himself. Paul is being sarcastic because that's what they were saying, Paul. Paul, you know, that Paul, he's crazy. Don't listen to Paul. And Paul says, you know, 
I speak as one who is, quote unquote, beside himself. He's using sarcasm. I more, that is a minister of Christ, in labors more abundantly, in prisons more abundantly, in stripes above measure, that is beatings, in deaths often at the, he, he faced, he came in close counters with death. Of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of rivers, in perils of robbers, in perils from my countrymen, in perils from the Gentiles, in perils, that's dangers, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in labor and travail, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Beside those things that are without, there is that which presses upon me daily, that is within his own soul, anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is caused to stumble, and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory in the things that concern my weakness. And then he says some more things as well. So here Paul is saying, look, all right, they say I'm crazy. I'm a minister of Christ, and here's the, the badge of my apostleship. And Paul lists all these things. He's not bragging about himself. He's simply telling them the truth. Now, when Paul says he know how to be a base. I think this can shed some light of what he's talking about. In all of these circumstances, Paul learned to be content. And I'll mention one example. We won't turn there. But in Acts 16, you remember when they were beaten with rods, Paul and Silas, and they were in prison? What happened around midnight? What were they doing? They were singing. They weren't saying, man. This gospel stuff and serving Jesus. I, I, I didn't sign up for this. They were singing. He applied what he knew about contentment in that situation. And he was in the shackles. And they were beaten unfairly. It wasn't right. It was unfair. And we think about things that are not fair. Even in our culture even maybe in things that the government may do. And I'll just say this on the side. Believer, choose your battles carefully. Make sure your battle is the battle of the Lord's. Now, of course, we can do things legally. There are channels civically. Let's do those things. Let's do what we can civically, but that's on an aside. <laughs> um, so here you see, Paul's experience, he knows how to be a base, he knows how to abound, and so therefore, contentment is something that can only be learned by experience. Now, third item here, how do you become content, right? Firstly, it has to be learned. Secondly, it is learned only by experience. And third, it is attained by the power of God. 
It is attained by the power of God. Go back to Philippians 4. Go back to our passage in Philippians. It is attained by the power of God. Not because we are good students of the word and we, we know how to uh, live the Christian life better than our brethren. No, it is attained by the power of God. Paul says, I know how to be a base. I know how to abound. Verse 13, I can do all things because I'm so smart. That's not what he said. I can do all things in him that strengthens me. Now, I'm aware that a number of translations says in Christ. Not going to understand why that may be there, but in the manuscript that I work with, Christ, his name isn't there. It's in the one strengthening me would be a more literal translation. In the one strengthening me. Now, of course, that would include Christ. But this is attained, and that's why I say it is attained by the power of God. And Jesus has said, apart from me, you can do nothing. In John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches, right? And of course, it is through Christ that we derive the strength that we need in order to be content and live the Christian life. 2 Timothy 2.1, Paul says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And so the strength that we derive in order to become content and fulfill these things, it comes from God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Even Timothy, even Timothy, he was this timid, fearful, yet godly man. And Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, God did not give us a spirit of fear. Timothy, I know you're fearful, but that fearfulness didn't come from God. Yeah, that's part of your makeup and your personality. And our personalities don't change when we become Christians. But we learn by the grace of God how to manage our personality so that we can live and do what God has called us to with our personality that we have received from birth. And yet Paul urged Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and a love and a sound mind. And then he encouraged Timothy, Timothy, I know you're fearful, but here's what I'm asking you to do. Suffer hardship with the gospel. According to the power of God. Not according to your power, but according to God's power. So here Paul is giving his testimony. I have learned in whatsoever state I am there when to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. In everything, in all things. Have I learned the secret both to be hungry, to abound, and to be in want? All of these different circumstances. And remember, he's writing from prison. Even this letter itself is an expression of the fact that he has learned to be content. And he is content, not that he wants to remain in prison, but if this is God's will, and as our brother has so eloquently said about COVID, he's not afraid of COVID, 
but maybe the road that would lead us there if COVID were to lead, lead us to death. I mean, our faith is to be in God and in God alone. And so Paul says, I know how this contentment works. I've been down this word. I am equipped with the principles to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. I've gone through the education process. I've completed the education and now I have the tools. And therefore, when I'm in this situation, I know how to get in gear and I know what I need to do. But I know that I can only do this through the power of God. And here's a, a beautiful example of this. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's a beautiful example and illustration. The thorn in the flesh. You remember that? Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And here's this, the context here. Paul is speaking about himself in the third person. He has been the recipient of a lot of light and knowledge from God. God has given him a lot of insight. And God has revealed things to Paul. And Paul has received a lot of knowledge from God. Now what God is doing to Paul, Paul wasn't puffed up with pride. He wasn't filled with pride. But God is going to do something to prevent him from being proud. And God sends this thorn, what he calls a thorn in the flesh. It's a messenger of Satan. And it's something that the devil has been allowed to do to Paul, whatever this may be. Some say it's sickness, but I'll just stick with the language that Paul is using here. It's a messenger of Satan sent to buffet. You know what buffet is like to punch, to, you know, knock him out black and blue. And so whatever this was... We don't know precisely, but it was not comfortable. It was very painful and difficult. And somehow the devil was harassing, harassing Paul, doing something to Paul. And look at what we read here in verse 7. Verse 7. And by reason of the exceeding greatness of the revelations, that I should not be exalted over much, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. That's the metaphor, description. Thorn in the flesh, not literal. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, that I should not be exalted over much. In other words, this was sent to keep me humble, to prevent me from being proud. And brethren, think about your life. Now think about my life. Why we go through things that we go through. You know this walk with God? that we're on this journey. And God brings things that we may not be able to understand, maybe in this lifetime, but there are, God, there are things that God is doing in your life and in my life to keep and preserve us. And that's what was here with Paul. And notice what he says in verse 8. Concerning this thing, I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now, would you have loved to hear Paul pray? Can you imagine Paul's prayer? And Paul had seasons of prayer. He had three seasons of prayer where he gave himself to this thing. And it doesn't necessarily mean he prayed three times in the same day. It could have been he prayed, he poured his heart out, 
And, and, a, and a week has gone by, maybe a month has gone by, I don't know what the time frame, and he says, oh man, this thing is really tough, and I'm, I'm having a tough time, and, and he said, I got to cast myself in gold, Lord, and he comes back to God, and he says, Lord, please remove this thing from me, I can't bear this, I can't handle this, Lord, remove this, I mean, this was a serious prayer, this is a serious matter, and was so much so that Paul thought he could not handle it anymore. You feel that way? I can't handle this. I can't take this. Verse 9. And here's the answer. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And God revealed, no, Paul, I'm not going to remove this from you. I'm going to give you more grace. I'm going to give you more grace. And I'm going to strengthen you, Paul, so that you can bear it. God is not a sadistic God where he loves to see his children squirm in anguish and pain. God is a God of mercy and of love. And God knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows what's best for us. And he says, no, Paul, I'm going to give you my grace. And by this um, infusion of God's grace to Paul, because my grace is enough. My grace is enough. It, it will be enough for you, Paul. And I'm going to give you my grace. And what is Paul's response? Most gladly, therefore... Will I rather glory that is boast in my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me? Therefore, I take pleasure in weaknesses, in injuries, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. You see Paul's attitude? Paul is saying, okay, Lord. Okay, Lord, give me more grace. Give me more grace. And now, Lord, that you reveal this, that this is going to be a manifestation of your power in me. So, Lord, bring it on. Because I believe you. I've learned to be content. You've proven yourself to be faithful to me in every circumstance that I'm in, and this is no exception, and you will give me more grace. And Paul says, therefore, I take pleasure in weaknesses. Not that Paul enjoyed suffering, that, hey, this is fun. I love suffering. I'm having a lot of fun. No, it wasn't fun. It was painful. It was painful, but there was a joy in his heart because he knew that this was working for his good and God was giving him grace to bear it. And he realized and he experienced this sense of God's grace strengthening him that he says, you know what? Okay, by God's grace, I can get through this. I'm going to be all right. I'm going to take this thing one day at a time. And then Paul gets in gear all the things he had learned about contentment. And therefore, he realizes that with all of these things, but this is for Christ's sake. And if it's for Christ's sake, then when I am weak, I am strong. His glory, his joy in life was Christ and his glory, no matter what. And if this thorn in the flesh will be used by my God to bring me closer to him, to keep me from being 
um, like the devil to make me more like Christ, then so be it, Lord, to your praise and glory. I embrace this. I rejoice in this because I know in my weakness you will make me strong. You see, contentment is attained by the power of God. Now let's conclude with some applications and some things to bring this home, close to home. Well, first thing I want to mention, just from the last point that I said, when you think of contentment, and especially when you think about yourself, remember this, brother, sister. Contentment is attainable. It's attainable. It's attainable for you. For you. For you. It is something that you can attain to. Because it is attained by the power of God. It is within your reach. Remember, Paul, he had to learn to be content. And we have to learn it too. Jesus had to learn obedience. He was sinless and without sin. And yet in his humanity, the sinless son of God, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience through suffering. And we too, brethren, we can learn contentment. It's attainable. So the question is, are you content? As you sit here this morning, as described according to the word of God, are you content? Have you gone through the process of learning contentment? All right, maybe you're not content. Maybe some of you are, maybe most of you are, I don't know. Maybe you're, but if you're not content, I have this question to ask. Are you learning to be content? Okay, you're not there. But are you learning? Are you working at it? Are you in the process? Okay, you, you haven't been certified, you haven't completed the course, but are you in the process? Are you learning? Are you, like it says in Hebrews, that the mature, they have their senses exercised by using the word of righteousness, by working through these things? Are you learning to be content? And here's what I want to say about Christian contentment. Christian contentment, I'm using the word Christian contentment, I wrote it down. But contentment, it glorifies God. Just think about that for a moment. It's not, well, I got to learn to be content because the preacher said I should be content. Oh, I know the Puritans, Jeremiah Burroughs, Christian Contentment. It's a good book, it's a good read, I encourage you to read that. Yeah, he wrote about contentment. And yeah, I see it in the Bible. Okay, okay, I just got to learn how to be content. Well, that's, that's not, that's not content. It's beyond the fact that 
You have to learn this. In fact, it's not really about you. I mean, you are involved, of course. It's your life. It's your struggle. It's your pain. It's your duty and your responsibility. But it's ultimately about God. Because it glorifies God. And I say this, brethren. This contentment, Christian contentment, it's one of the most beautiful things to behold on earth. You could think of seeking Mount Everest, the Grand Canyon, or you could see someone who's have great talents and they can do things, they can sing, they can dance, they can play an instrument, whatever it may be, or there's some great artists and you can see a lot of things that makes you go, whoa, wow, right? You get blown away by that, but I tell you, this is one of the most beautiful things, I didn't say the most, but one of the most beautiful things to behold on earth is a contented Christian. Why? Because a contented Christian, it is a display of the grace of God. It is the grace of God on display. It is a display of the grace of God causing a person who is naturally selfish and complaining because that's what we are by nature, right? And God saves us by his grace, and there is new life in us, and we are no longer living to ourselves, but we're now living unto Christ. And what an amazing thing, the church, amazing grace, right? What an amazing display of God's grace to see people who are natively selfish and self-centered to have this contentment. No matter what is going on in their life, and the onlooker says, I don't know how you do that. Well, it's not them doing it. It's the power of God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me or in the one who strengthens me. Because this display of, of contentment, you know what is the message is communicating to the world. You know what a contented Christian is saying to the world in loud neon lights? God is enough. Touch my body. Take my money away. Pull the rug out from under my feet. And I will tell you, not just by my words, because talk is cheap, but I would tell you, not only by my words, but mostly by my life, that God is enough. And that's why it says in Hebrews 13, be content with such things as you have. For he himself have said, I will in no wise leave you nor forsake Be free from covetousness, the love of money and the love of things. And Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. Either one is going to be your refuge and your security. You know, if I could just have enough money, if I can just get financially secure, and then, you know, I'll be all right and life will be happy. But no, the contented Christian says... 
It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. God is enough. You see, the contented Christian does not need God and something else. Okay, I believe in God, I believe the Bible, and Jesus has saved me, and I get that, and I'm a believer, but I won't be completely happy until I have this. But you have Christ, yes, but I want this also. And again, brethren, God has given us all things richly to enjoy, and there's nothing wrong wanting to have the good things in life that God has given to us, but everything has to have its place. Knowing God, having his presence, to be right with God, nothing else really matters. David said, you will show me the path of life, Psalm 1611. In thy presence there is fullness of joy. In thy presence. If I could be in your presence, accept it. Being justified, we have peace with God. In your presence, not as one who is, uh, you are angry with, but one who has been received, adopted as your son and daughter, to be accepted before God. Just think of it. Before your creator of the universe, we think of all the things from a time of childhood to the time we grow where we are careful because we don't want to get in trouble. Oh, make sure you do this because I don't want to get in trouble with mom and dad. Make sure you do this because I want to make sure I pass a test. Make sure you do this. Oh, slow down. I don't want to get pulled over by a state trooper for, for speeding. Make sure you do that because you don't. And we're always in our lives. You want to make sure that we do things and we want to make sure we're protected and, and, and covered, you know, that we're not going to get in trouble for this so that we can have some sense of security. Well, there's no greater security in all the earth than to know that you are at peace with God. That God is not against you. To know that when you die for certain, you will go to heaven. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And you know the problem with many people is they live with guilt and they don't, don't know how to deal with it and they may want to get on some meds. Maybe go see a doctor and get on some medication, okay? Maybe they don't have time to go see the doctor, so they speak to the drug dealer on the corner. You got something for me. I need something to help me to ease this pain that I'm dealing with, and I don't know how to cope with these things. Or maybe it's not the drug dealer on the corner. Maybe it's alcohol. They go to the liquor store, and they stock up. And when they're not feeling so great, they just got to have a drink. I just need a drink. Just something to kind of get me over this and to keep me going. Whatever it may be that people hang on to because of their guilt, and until you come to God, until you come to Jesus confessing your sin, knowing the problem with your guilt, yes, I've done wrong. Yes, I am wrong. I feel wrong. I'm messed up. But you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, I'm miserable. I'm a mess. I'm a sinner. Oh, God, forgive me. Change me. Save me. Deliver me. Jesus, help me. I don't know what to do. Confess your sins and cast yourself upon him. And then when you know it is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. 
It is only the creator of the heavens and earth that can remove the guilt from your conscience. No doctor, no substance, no activity can remove the guilt from your conscience. Only the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And see, that's why a contented Christian is a beautiful display of the grace of God. Because now that you have been saved, we have been saved, now we learn these tools and and God is schooling us, you know. Jesus says, after he says, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The learning never ends. We are always in school. But this is the best school to be in. Because this school is going to lead us to heaven. And Jesus is our teacher. He is our helper. And he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you will find rest to your souls. So brethren, let us learn this contentment by training our minds to think about our lives according to the word of God. Okay, you're in a situation, all right? You've been desiring something and you don't have it. Whatever it may be, all right, here you are. Here I'm at. I wish things were different for me. All right, but this is where I'm at. Now train your mind to think about your circumstances according to God's word. And then believe God's word. Okay, this is what the word of God says. And put your faith and hold on to every promise. And we know that to those who love God, all things work together for good. You say, all right, I don't understand. I don't see any good in my life. But I know, based upon God's word, that all these things, God is working this for my good. I know it. And I believe. So therefore, train your mind to think about your life according to God's word. Believe God's word with all your heart. And then live that word no matter what you're going through. Live according to that word no matter what you are going through. Learn to walk more and more by faith and say to yourself, all right, here I am. Here's my circumstances. Brother so-and-so has this, sister so-and-so have that. Boy, the, the grass seems to be greener over there. Man, they seem to get everything. All right, but you know what? God is dealing with me, and God is being faithful to me, and in God's providence, this is where I'm at. And so you take the tools of God's word and God's promises. You see what I said in Hebrews 11? Now you're learning how to take the word of righteousness and now your soul is being exercised by it now you're in this pain this frustration this disappointment or this discouragement and now you need to exercise your mind and say okay this is what god has said lord i believe your promise i feel like a miserable failure as a christian but lord i believe your word And I'm going to rejoice in you. But Lord, I need your help because I can't do this. I'm so weak. 
help me. And so there you go. You're wrestling with the issue and you're pouring out your soul to the Lord. Like Jesus learning obedience by the things he suffered with strong cries and tears. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He was committed to obey even unto death. And so let us follow the example of our Savior and learn how this contentment. And God will give you the power. It is attainable, brethren. It is attainable. And I would just end just reading this hymn that we know so well, hymn 444. Father, I know that all my life is portioned out for me. The changes that are sure to come, I do not fear to see. I ask you for a present mind intent on pleasing thee. I would not have the restless will that hurries to and fro, seeking for some great thing to do or some secret thing to know. I would be treated as a child. Lord, you guide me and guide it where I go because, Lord, you know what's best for me. I ask you, Lord, for the daily strength because I'm weak. I need strength each day. I ask you for the daily strength to none that ask, you've never said no. To none that ask, denied. A mind to blend with outward life while keeping at your side. Content to fill a little space. If, Lord, if this is what you have for me, to be in this little obscure space where people are overlooking you, people are maybe taking advantage of you because of your belief, because of Christ, and maybe because you're honest, you don't get that promotion because they know you're not going to lie and steal and cheat in order to advance the business so you never get the promotion. Content to fill a little space if thou be glorified. In service which your will appoints, that is, God's providence. You know, God's providence is the outworking of God's decree according to God's word in our lives. In service which your will appoints, there are no bonds for me. I don't feel it bondage. My secret heart is taught the truth that makes thy children free. Freedom. A life of self-renouncing love is one of liberty. Well, brethren, there is more things that could be said upon contentment, but I trust that what we considered this morning, that the Lord will be pleased to use, to stoke the fires, to provoke you, to promises and to exercise yourself depending upon God's power. And may the Lord, brethren, just think about it, may the Lord take each of us. May we have the desire to be a display of the grace of God. For His glory, not for our admiration so people can admire us, so that we can say, hey, you know what? I am what I am. Father, grace of God. Let's pray.